Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Well, I'll tell you, it is good to be back in the pulpit. Amen. Amen. It seems like a month that I've been out of... Oh, it has been a month. <laughs> I've had people ask me if I've been on vacation. Nope, just... Uh, it was the perfect storm, just a bunch of scheduling that took place, and it all came at once, and it was like, holy cow, I'm going to be not preaching for a while. I wonder if I can remember how to do it. But uh, that's okay. I think we got it figured out. Amen? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn over uh, real quickly to the book of John. John, go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And chapter 16, we're going to be looking at one verse of Scripture, very familiar portion of Scripture. Uh, many of you have probably read this before, you've heard this before, you've heard sermons preached on. We're going to use this Scripture as a launching point into this sermon. Uh, this is going to be kind of a fun sermon. I, I, I want to put that disclaimer out a little bit because we're going to be speaking about something that I know for a fact Every person in this room deals with this. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're two days old or if you're 200 years old. You deal with this. And so the Bible says this. Um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. How many glad for peace? How many glad that God says we can have peace? Amen. He says, In the world you'll have tribulation. I want you to say tribulation. tribulation. Say tribulation. tribulation. Say problems. problems. Say difficulties. Difficulty. Setbacks. Setbacks. Hardship. Hardship. Bad, days. Bad days. Okay, now we got it. In the world, in this world, you will have tribulation. Okay. But, aren't you, how, how many glad for the butts in the world? I, I'm glad for butts in the world. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's giving them a piece of wisdom. He's telling them, say, hey, look, guys, I'm not ignorant to the fact that things in this life are going to get a little bit difficult in this world. <coughs> you're a part of this world. You're not of the world, but you're in the world. And in the world, there's going to be bad days. Has anybody ever had a bad day? Okay, let me ask the question again, because there's some of you that are resisting. Has anybody ever had a bad day? Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We've all had bad days. Now, don't you wish, don't you wish that there was some sort of warning sign that would tell you in advance that you're about to have a bad day. I mean, wouldn't it be kind of cool that if, you know, on your bedroom wall, you know, here's your, your bed's facing here, and on the opposite wall, there was like this little screen. And when you wake up in the morning, if you looked at the screen, if it's glowing green, that means great day ahead. Right. You wake up and you go, man, it's good to be alive. We're going to have a good day. There's going to be blessing and abundance, and, you know, the, the, everything's going to work. And then if it's glowing green, you could go, nope, I ain't even getting up. I'm done. I'm staying, or I'm so red. And you go, I'm staying here. I'm done. Wouldn't that be great to have like an early warning system 
You know, you, how, how, I'm, see, I, I think about all these TV shows. I'm dating myself, but, you know, Danger Will Robinson. I, you know, wouldn't that be great? Like a little beeper or something that if you're about to enter a trial, it's going beep, beep, beep. It's like, oh, okay. But see, the problem with that, knowing human nature, we would try to steer out of it, and we would get ourselves into worse problems. That's, the problem is I just never get out of bed because... That's just the way it is. I have a hard time as it is now. And so, but it would be kind of cool to have an early warning system. So what I want to do before we really get into our message is I want to give you um, a little bit of advice. Hopefully this will help you to recognize a bad day when it's about to begin. You know it's going to be a bad day when you call 911 and they put you on hold. That's that's kind of an indication that it could be a bad day. You know it's going to be a bad day when your twin sister forgets your birthday. This might be a bad day. You know it's going to be a bad day when you get out of bed and you see your dog chewing on your toothbrush. That's, that's not, good, not a good day. You know, it's a gonna, you know it's going to be a bad day when the bird singing outside of your window is a buzzard. It's going to be a bad day. You know it's going to be a bad day when your boss says, don't even bother to take your coat off. That's, that's going to be a bad day. <clears throat> you know it's going to be a bad day when your income tax check bounces. That's going to be a bad day for everybody. How many know what I'm talking about? You know it's going to be a bad day when you put your bra on backwards and it fits better. That... That's, that's, that's a bad day. <laughs> and my personal favorite, you know it's going to be a bad day when you wake up in the hospital all banged up and your insurance agent tells you that your accident policy covers you falling off the roof but not hitting the ground. Those are bad days. Those are the beginning of bad days. Over the years of being a Christian and a pastor, there's one thing that I have noticed with some very real consistency, and that is the people who get saved and get healed and get delivered, people who enjoy the benefits of the kingdom, (coughs) seem to still suffer adversity. They're tempted, they're tested, they're tried. And it seems like, to me, from my advantage point, that no one, whether saved or unsaved, is exempt from the difficulties of life. Jesus said this in our text, in this world, in the world, you will have tribulation. Peter goes on and he put, goes on to say this, he puts it this way, in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, he said, beloved do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is re- real, realized, you may also be exceedingly joyful. Listen, listen to what I'm saying here. Because oftentimes what happens is when trials and tribulations come into our life, the very first thing we do is 
think it's strange. Why is this happening to me? What is going on? I thought God, I thought he was for me. Well, I can't believe this. What is God up to? Why is he doing this to me? You been there? I've been there. I was there just yesterday. As I was writing this sermon. (laughs) Thinking it's strange that the fiery trial is coming against me. And he writes, he says, don't even, don't. He goes, don't think it's strange. As though some strange thing has happened to you. Why? Because in this world, you're going to have tribulation. That's what I love about the Bible. Is because the Bible is not shy about talking about life as it really is. See, I've met Christian. You ever met a Christian that never wants to talk about anything? You know, it's always positive. It's always sugary syrup. But that's just not life, is it? Because, see, what I don't need is sugary syrup. I, I need to know how to handle life. Because I have found that sometimes I have bad days. Sometimes I get stuck in traffic. I got up this morning ready to preach my bad day sermon with my bad day jokes. I get into my truck, put the key in, turn it, nothing. Not even a click. Went, hmm. I had a choice. I could go, oh, great. You know what? This, this, see, God served you all these years, and I can't even get a fair shake. How many know what I'm talking about? In fact, the Bible goes so far to say in James chapter 1, he says, my brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now this might come as a surprise to some, but you know what? The reality is, is sometimes we're going to have bad days. Sometimes it's going to be tough. And how we react to those bad days is going to determine a lot about our future. Can you say amen? Amen. So I want to minister a message that I've entitled this morning, The Way of the Overcomer. Because the Bible is very clear when it comes to the idea of our continuing permanent victory. You need to understand something. You, right now, no matter what the circumstances are, you're victorious. Amen. Do you understand that? Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have been given victory. Yes. It's a done deal. Victory is yours. And then the famous portion of scripture in Romans chapter 8, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Amen. (laughs) Amen. That's who you are right now. You are more than a conqueror. Amen. Amen. Now, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. I know sometimes it doesn't look like it. 
Sometimes there is no, there is not a shred of evidence in your life that you are an overcomer, but I am telling you, God sitting on his throne says this, he declares it from heaven, you are victorious, period. Listen to these words. Listen to them. I am more than an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The most profound scripture relating (coughs) to our victory as an identity, as an overcomer, is found in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. What a powerful, beautiful picture of who we are. We are victorious. We are overcomers. We are conquerors in Christ. See, the whole scene in this passage of Scripture is a grand display of our victory that has been established in Christ. He won, so I win. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, there's something very powerful here for you and I if we'll catch it. Jesus tells us this is our identity. Remember, we've talked in, the, in, in times past, we talk a lot about identity here. Why? Because identity determines a lot of things. It's who I am. Wherever I go, victory goes with me. Wherever I go, I bring victory into that place. Where my job, my job's blessed because I'm there. My home is blessed because I'm there. The grocery store that I shop at is blessed. Why? Because I shop there. You say, is that arrogant? No, it's just fact. Why? Because I am victorious. Now listen, I often think about the men and women of the Bible. I, I think about the heroes of faith. I think about guys like Daniel. You know, we know the story, Daniel and the lion's den, don't we? I love that story. You, got, you just got to love Daniel. You know, here is a guy that is committed to prayer. He has committed his life to serving God. And we know that he he was taken captive. That wasn't a good day. But he's making the best out of a good day, and he finds himself in the court of an ungodly king. And as he rises up in favor, he finds himself in this place that he actually becomes an advisor. And some of the other people get really jealous of Daniel. And they know Daniel is a man of God. And they know that his habit is to pray three times a day. And so these other guys being mad at Daniel, what they do is they go out and they manipulate the king to pass a law that says no one can pray to any god other than the king. They can't bow down. They can't worship to any other God other than the image of the king. But Daniel is not even moved by this. He is is so nonchalant, he just shrugs it off, goes home as his custom was, and throws open the window during breakfast, during lunch, and during dinner, and he prays anyway. Well, lo and behold, he gets caught. And things are going to go from bad to worse. He goes from favor in the palace to be thrown in the lion's den. How many know that's a bad day? (laughs) He doesn't just get demoted. He's going to get eaten. When have you had your boss have you for dinner? And I'm not saying have you for over for dinner. 
But here's Daniel. He stands. You've got to admire that. He gets thrown in the lion's den. The next day, the king comes in and says, Daniel, are you still there? And he goes, yep, I'm here. My God, I can see it in the lion's den. Here are all the lions, the hungry lions. They're coming. But then the lion of Judas stood up and said, not this one. This one's mine. Oh, can you see that? I admire that. So how about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're going to be troubled by the same king that Daniel is troubled by. And they say this, they're told to bow down and they go, we're not even careful, O king. In other words, this is a no-brainer for us. We're not worshiping your image. And the king heats up the furnace seven times hotter. It's so hot that it kills the guy that opens the door. Now here's the thing. They said, if God delivers us, then he's God. If he don't, he's still God. Amen. That's tough words, man. That's a bad day. Man, I complain about it being 95 degrees. They're talking about a flaming stove. They're going to throw him in there. And it's not until they're in the fire <coughs> that they see Jesus. It's not until they go through their trial that they realize that Jesus is in the trial with them. Good word, good word. Are you hearing me? Yeah. That's tough, man. And I admire that. But the truth is, I have a hard time relating to that. Because I'm a big sissy. I stub my toe. And I'm, oh, that's it, I'm done. Your, your word says even if I dash my foot against a stone, you're going to lift me up. Where you at, God? You ain't lifting me up. I'm done. I'm going to be a bag boy at Safeway. Right? I'm through. I'm done. I can't take these bad days. See, I feel more like Gideon most of the time. You remember Gideon? He's hiding. He's like, you know what? I really do love God. But I'm going to fly under the radar. I, I really do think it's important that I thresh out the wheat. But I'm going to do it where nobody can see it. Because <clears throat> I'm tired of being beat up for it. How many know what I'm talking about? And so here's Gideon. He's hiding. And I can, I can relate to Gideon. Why? Because when bad days come, I just want to be a big sissy. I just want to cower. But that's not who I am. That's not who Gideon was. Because when the angel of the Lord came... He looked at Gideon and he didn't go, hey, you coward, get out of there. He goes, hey, mighty man of God, right. I got a task for you. Amen. That's his identity. See, your identity is a mighty man or woman of God. You have the victory right now. Can you say amen? amen. See, I believe what the problem is, is that the idea of overcoming has kind of become an obsolete concept. See, we live in a society that loves homogenation. Now, that's a really big word, I know. It's what they do to milk. They homogenize. Basically, what it does is it takes everything that's good out of it. <clears throat> you know, the cream, the butter, all of that. Basically, what it does is it just evens everything out. See, our society really wants everything to be even. We don't, we don't want winners and we don't want losers. We just want participants. Come on. 
I mean, th there's movements right now that want to take, uh, uh, they don't want students to play games where there's points. Because we don't want to identify a loser or a winner. We don't want anybody to feel bad. Then what's the point? Yeah, we went out and played football for an hour. We survived. And in many ways, we have replaced this idea of overcoming with compromise, with complacency, and with apathy. And truth is, we've just lost the will to fight, and I'm finding that more and more in the church. See, what we want is, rather than making a stand, we want a treaty. We want to make a treaty with the devil. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll stop being so fanatical if you stop really pushing in on me. Right? You know, I've had enough of these bad days, man. I'm just tired. I know what it is to be tired. But what we want to do is we want to negotiate rather than stand our ground. See, we want to, you know, let's just talk about the issue of sin. Can we talk about sin for a moment? <clears throat> now, I know, look at, listen to me. In every way, you've been set free from the power of sin. Amen. It is absolute. You are not, I don't care what anybody says, you are not a sinner in this place. If you know Jesus Christ, you are not a sinner saved by grace. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, I understand the statement, a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner who is saved by grace. That makes more sense. But now I'm a saint of God that occasionally stumbles. Okay, do you understand me? This is what I'm saying. It's about identity. It's about knowing who we are. But let's talk about sin for a moment. See, the problem with sin is what we're, if we're not careful, if we don't make a stand, then what we'll do is we'll negotiate. We'll come up with an accommodating theology to justify behavior. Well, it's not really that bad. If it separates you from God, it's bad. Are you hearing me? Well, you know, see, one of the things, this is what I love about Christians. I am one, so I could say this. We love bumper stickers, and we like making them our mantra. Be patient with me. God's not done. Now, that is a very true statement. God is not done, and he will complete the work that's in me. But we cannot hide behind that mantra and do nothing about changing our life. Are you hearing me? We can't just negotiate with sickness. We've got to stand against it. No, you are not welcome here. I will not accept you. We've got to break habits. Break them. We've got to run problems off. And if we have a setback, we need to get up and run again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can't negotiate with the bad day. We've got to stand against it. And I believe the problem with that is, is that what happens is many, they've just come to the place where they're not spiritually growing. They don't possess any spiritual strength. What, 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 what's happening is, and this is just amazing to me, how many people will come to me when they're having a problem and they'll do this, this is, well, we're just going to kind of back away from church for a little while. When you're having a problem, you ought to put the pedal to the metal and push in. 
Are you hearing me? Well, you know, you know, we just need some family time. Let me tell you something. I raised my family in church. I can I could safely say that my family has countless numbers of hours and days in church. I was pastoring before my first son was born. And so all they know is ministry. And we did it together as a family. Now, I understand, don't misunderstand, I understand there's got to be free time and, and all of that, and I know that we need to have rest and all of that, but listen to me today. I'm talking about the fact that church is not the problem. Being committed to God is not the problem. It's negotiating with the, with the sin. It's negotiating with the bad day. It's making a bad day have a bad, worse day. The Bible tells us that we are always and always will be overcomers. We are victorious. And this may come to a, as a revelation to many, but you're not supposed to be a punching bag for the devil. That's not what God's called you to. He's called you to walk in victory over every adversary. <coughs> are you hearing me? Look at victory is not an option. It's an identity. So I want you to look real quick as, as we move on. I want to take this a little bit deeper. And I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me just for a moment. This is a real revelation to me. Because this, this, this is going to take us into a place where we see, the, we, we see how the Bible communicates balanced doctrine. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now that starts out great, doesn't it? We, we look at that and we say, thank God there's comfort for our tribulation. And he begins, as, as Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he, he begins by what we expect Christianity to be. It ought to be a place of comfort. In the midst of trial and tribulation, it ought to be a place where, you know what, somewhere along the line, we feel the comfort of God in our lives. But by verse 8, he takes a very dark turn. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Listen to this. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. When the Bible says don't be ignorant of something, we ought to pay attention. He says, look at, first off, I'm in the center. Paul is in the center of God's will at this point. <clears throat> He's doing exactly what God called him to do. Yet we find everything but victory in it. Are you hearing me? This is the honesty of the Bible. This is how the Bible paints a picture of honesty. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the trouble the pressure, the affliction, the anguish, the burden, the persecution, and the tribulation that we were experiencing. I don't want you to be ignorant of that trouble. 
He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the burden that we were pressed down, overwhelmed, overloaded, and outnumbered by our circumstances. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the measure that it was beyond measure. It was exceedingly above what we could handle. And he says, and because of that, all of our strength was gone. And the only way out seemed to be death. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. That's a revelation to me. That made me think. I'm going to read it again. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. We were having some pretty bad days. That's what I love about the Bible is the, is the stark honesty. You ever had a bad day? See, something's happening here. It's beyond bearing. He, he's in so much danger that he believed that he had a death sentence on him. And there's something very sinister and evil and destructive about this whole experience. Yet in the middle of it all, God's plan comes shining through because Paul had a choice. Because look at verse 9. He says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Listen. Listen to this. In verse 9 in the New Living, he says, In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we learned not to rely on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. Sometimes, church, the reason for the trial, the devil meant it for evil, but God means it for good because God wastes nothing. Even your very bad, horrible, rotten day, God will use for his glory and your benefit because what he will show you is that when you come to the end of yourself, he can still raise the dead. (laughs) And if that's what it takes, he will see his will through. Can you say amen? He will raise the dead. He'll raise you up. Paul's writing. He goes, I don't want you to be ignorant, man. It was bad. It was rotten. It was horrible. He says, I was so bad that I thought the only way out of this is going to be death. He says, but I understood that so that I would not trust in myself, but that I would trust in the one who can raise the dead. Can you say amen? And it was a choice that he had to make. Listen, church, there's no way to say this other than just to say it. You can choose death or you can choose life. In every bad day, in every obstacle, in every adversity, in every difficulty, you will have a choice. How am I going to respond to this? Am I going to choose to trust myself? Because if you do, then you have the sentence of death at work in you. Or I can choose to trust God who can raise the dead. 
I don't understand this. I can't see my way out. I don't have any strength. I have no ability. I have no wisdom. And God says, that's okay because I do. Trust me. The Bible says this in Psalm 107.20. It says he sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from all of their destruction. Listen. And what he was saying there, he says, when all of their wisdom was swallowed up, when they knew no more to do, when they could not figure out what to do, God sent his word. I tell you today that God has not changed. When you don't know what to do, when you're having a very bad day, when you don't, can't figure it out, when there, it makes life makes no sense, God still sends his word. Amen. Who is his word? The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and he dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace. And truth. Are you hearing me today? Jesus is the word. He sent him. Why? So we could be victorious. He sent his word. So the question is today, how do we, like Paul, come to trust God in the midst of a really bad day? See, one of the things that I love about sermons like this is they're easy to preach. Why is that? Well, because anytime you talk about the power of God and victory, and, you know, you could get all wound up. The problem with these kinds of sermons is oftentimes that's all we do. See, I don't want to come to church and be stirred. I want to come to church and be changed. Amen. Amen. See, being stirred is fun and it's good, you know, feels good. But changed is what I'm after. And so what we've really got to do is get down to some nuts and bolts and say, well, how does this work when I'm in it? Because, see, it's easy to say amen until you're there. Yeah, right. Because the feelings are so real. So true. The feeling of hopelessness, like nothing's going to change, is, it, it permeates. It, it, it impacts us, and it feels like it's not going to change. Right. <laughs> the despair can get so thick that it actually will have a physical feeling. Yes. Yeah. We could get worried and we could get anxious and we could get fearful and all of these things and they impact us. And what do we do in the midst of that? Because they're convincing us that what's in front of us is true. So we have to make a decision. That's what Paul's telling us. He goes, he goes, we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death. We knew we were going to die. And he says, but we had to stop trusting in ourselves, And we had to trust the one that could raise the dead. So how did he do that? Well, I think there's some very basic things in the Bible that tell us what to do. And the first one, I believe, really matters. This, let me tell you something. This has been making a difference in my life. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not, I am by far done with this process. This is a process that's being worked out every day in my life. But I can tell you it's having impact. And the first thing we need to do is count our blessings. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5 says these words. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, <coughs> who crowns you 
with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Listen to this. Forget not. I looked that up last night as I was putting the finishing touches on this. And it literally means don't lay aside. Don't stop paying attention to. It's not simply that we forget. See, that'd be too obvious. What we do is we just set it aside. We say, Get out, get out of my way. I, I know there's blessing, but man, look at this bad day. No, he says, don't do that. Don't forget it. Keep it right in front of you. You might be sick in this place. You might be broke. There may be more bills than there is money. You might have a relationship issue. You might have wayward children. You might have a job that's going south or a boss that's mean and nasty. There might be all kinds of things going on in your life. He said, don't pay attention to that. Count your blessings. Don't forget all his benefits. Why? Because when you put them in front of you, it changes how you think. Are you hearing me? The second thing is meditate on his promises. Meditate. I'm not just talking about that we think about it. I'm not, I'm not talking about doing our daily bread. You know, that little box that you pull the scripture out. I, I'm not talking about just coming to a place where we go, okay, you know, we have a list of promises. and we, I'm talking about sitting down in a quiet place and musing over the promise of God. Meditating, dwelling, feeding your mind and your spirit. Over and over throughout the scripture, the Bible tells us to keep our mind on his word. Psalm 119, he tells us several times through the psalm, he says, you know what, your word I've hid in my heart. I meditate on your law day and night, your statutes, your principles. I meditate on them. He says, I think about them often. I run them through my mind. I muse on them day and night. Why? Because every promise is his purpose in your life. Every promise is his plan for your life. And it's his promises. It's it's the benefits he's already done. It's the blessing that you've already received. See, I have a book. I have a little thing in my computer. It's called my God book. And my God book is all those moments, those, those encouraging moments where words and experiences, those moments where I've had encounters with God. And I remind myself, often I go back to that and I read it and I remind myself of what he has done in my life. What he said he will do. Some things have been fulfilled. Some things have yet to be fulfilled. But I look at that and I remind myself that God is right now at work in my life, whether I can feel it or not. And I count my blessings. And I meditate on his promises. And then the third thing is I stand still and know he is God. In Psalm 46.10, it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, if you go do extensive Hebrew study of these words, the very, it's a very uh, a strong statement. This, this, be still and know that I'm God, that's very flowery, makes for a good bumper sticker. But what God was saying is, shut up, I'm God. Right. I just, I love that. Because that's what I need. 
Sometimes I get, you know, rah, 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 the life is, you know, the dog had kittens and I can't do this. I get going back and forth and I talk myself into a frenzy. Does anybody know about that? Do you ever talk yourself into a bad day? Man, I could talk myself into a really rotten day. I mean bad. Trust me, I can hit bottom and then dig 50 feet down. It's a gift. And sometimes what God's saying is, John, shut up. Just shut up, man. I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. Okay. Sometimes you just got to see it that way. I mean, that, that, that is so healthy. It's not God being mean. Have you ever, have you ever had to deal with, deal with a child that's hysterical? Shut up! I'm right here. You know, I, I remember, have you ever met anybody that's hangry? You know, they're hungry and angry. And, and, and they get complaining. It's like you're on the way to the restaurant. Shut up! We're going to get something to eat, man. This is, this is the picture. Be still and know that I'm God. God is at work. If you would quit assaulting everything I'm doing by the words of your mouth, you would see victory. Remember, Moses told the Israelites, they're, they're afraid. They're, they're freaking out, man. They're, they're there at the Red Sea. Moses, or Pharaoh is in hot pursuit. They got mountains on either side. There's nowhere to go. And finally, Moses stands up and looks at the children of Israel and says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, shut up and hold your ground. I love that. This, 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 this means, if you ain't getting nothing, I am. <laughs> it's always better than the 1030. I don't know why. <laughs> it's probably true. I am more awake. Number four, submit to God and resist the devil. This, somewhere along the line, church, what we have to do is we're going to have to make a decision. See, James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. See, one of the reasons that people are not seeing the... The, the, the freedom that they want is because they just won't submit to God and they won't resist the devil. They just won't resist. Say no. Well, I was tempted, but say no. I was tempted. Say no. No. Say it. Let's try it. No. Try it again. No. Say it out loud. Thank you. Yeah, I've done it. I've been driving down the road and have just crazy thoughts in my head and go, no, 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 no. I resist you, God. I submit to you. And I resist you. Not, not, not you. The devil. Number five. Consider him lest you grow weary and faint. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 <coughs> says this. Consider... All that he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so that you don't become weary and given up. Somewhere, our consideration of Christ strengthens us. 
It'll cause you to live. It'll co- See, put your mind on him and he'll keep you in perfect peace, he says. There's something about considering him. Number six, renew your mind. We just heard about this Wednesday, if you were here in our Wednesday service in Philippians 4, 8. It says, finally, my brethren, what things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy. Meditate on those things. See, you have a choice what you're going to feed your mind. At the end of the day, wherever your mind goes, you've chosen to drive it there. Trust me, no one can steer your mind but you. Look at free will is absolute. What do you mean by that? That means you get to choose. He says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you may live. That's what he says in his word. We have the choice. I get to choose. So we have to renew our mind. We have to choose what we're going to think on. And as I close, we've got to bring every thought into captivity. And this was a verse of scripture that just hit me the other day as I was looking at it, reading it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. Listen to this. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. Now the context of this verse is interesting because he's talking about spiritual warfare. But he's talking about this spiritual warfare and the first thing he tells us, he goes, look at the weapons that you're going to use in this battle, they're not carnal. They're mighty in God. And he says, and they have a specific purpose and that specific purpose is to tear down strongholds. It's to tear down the stronghold that's at work in you. You know what a stronghold is? It's a place in our mind that we've given over to the devil. It's a defendable, defensible place. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4.26. It says, neither give place to the devil. I think it's 4.27. Neither give place to the devil. That word place in that verse is the Greek word topaz where we get our word topography. He says, don't give the devil a place. Why? Because from that place, he will build a stronghold. Are you hearing me? And so then he goes on, he goes, he goes to the pulling down of strongholds, and he says, you know what strongholds are? They're the arguments. It's the lies. It's, it's, it's the things the devil wants to sow into our mind that aren't true. It's the things that want to exalt itself above God. See, the devil couldn't exalt himself in heaven above God, but he'll do it in you if you'll allow allow it. Are you hearing me? He'll do it in your mind. He says, those are the strongholds. It's the the thoughts (coughs) that lead us to disobedience. It's the thoughts that come against. See, thinking is not a sin unless we act upon it. What we have to do is we have to take those thoughts captive. Sometimes the thoughts you think aren't your thoughts. They're not yours. I know they're in your head and I know that you're hearing them, but they're sown there by the devil. See, that's how he fights. Is he sows a thought. And if you don't take that thought, you give him place. 
When you give him place, he creates a stronghold. Now he has legal right. He has right access. He has right of way. If you have a piece of property and you sold a portion of that property that was in the center, it is required by law that you give egress or you give access to that property to the one that you sold it to. So the moment that you give place to the devil, you now have to give him right of way to his place. But see, I'd like to think the devil would take the shortest route, but he's a punk and he don't. And what he does is he travels through everything in my life to get to his place. And he fights against me in that stronghold. But God said there are weapons that are mighty. They're spiritual in God. They're mighty in God to the pulling down of those strongholds. And he says, and you can take every thought, captivity. You can say, I'm going to fight against that. No, 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 I ain't going to think that. See, sometimes the devil, see a lot of Christians, they go away and they go, I am a horrible, rotten Christian. Look at the thoughts I have. You're not a horrible, rotten Christian. You're in battle. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you choose to think those thoughts and continue, then what you do is you set yourself up for torment. It's not who you are. Are you hearing me? Tear down those strongholds. Rip them out. Say, no, 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 we're, we're, we're evicting you, devil. You no longer have right of way. You're out. You violated the CC&Rs. <laughs> Whatever those are. Church, I preach this message to you today because there's not a person in this room that doesn't deal with us. There's not a person in the room that hasn't struggled with a bad day. Bad days can turn into bad weeks and bad months and bad years. And for some, they can turn into bad decades. And their lives can become defined by their bad day. But I want you to understand that your identity is you are victorious. And though you may from time to time have a bad day, you get to choose the outcome. Why would we... Imagine this. Imagine going down to the river, to the casino. And as you walked in, they gave you a particular ticket. And they said, you know what? Today is your day. You get to choose whether you win or lose at whatever you play. Would there be anybody that says, oh, I'm, I'm all for losing today? <laughs> Nobody. We would go to the megabuck machine, wouldn't we? Find the one with the most money. I win. God says you win. He says, I set before you life and death. You choose. I win. I know it seems real. I really do. I, you know, I've, I've gone down this road. I've experienced it. I've told my wife. I've said to my wife, it feels so real. I know it's a lie, but I can't. I, and so what I have to do is I have to stop. Change. I have to shut up. I have to stand. I have to resist. I have to meditate, count my blessings. I have to do those things. Then the God who raises the dead 
shows up and he delivers me from my situation. That's what I want. I don't know about you, but that's, that's what I want in my life. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? I wonder today if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus is their Savior. It's not right with God. And you say, you know what, Pastor? I want to give my life to Christ. I've listened to what you say, and I need this. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Would you say, I need Jesus today? Lift it up all across this place. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Someone else. Amen. I see that one. Someone else. Amen. I see that. You can put it down. Someone else. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put that one down. Amen. Thank you. You can put that down. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Precious souls responding. Would you pray with me? Would you all pray with me? Would you say this? Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look up at me. If, if you prayed that prayer, what we want you to do today is our, our prayer team, let's, let's have our prayer team come, our ministry team. Hang on just a second before you, you start moving. Come on up, prayer team. And if you prayed that prayer, there were several of you that lifted your hand and you prayed that. I want you to come up. Uh, as we're leaving today, I want you to just come up and meet with one of these and just say, hey, you know what? I, I gave my life to Jesus today and let them pray with you. Let them talk to you. It's, it's a great way to get connected. Amen. It's a great way to get connected. For the rest of you, we love you, man. I love this church. You are the best church on the planet. Do you understand that? You are the greatest church on the planet. I don't care what anybody says. Amen. This is good. Can you say amen? Why don't you stand your feet all across this place? We're going to let you go today. We love you. Remember, you win. You win. You go in victory today. You enjoy your Sunday afternoon. God bless you. Remember, if you prayed that prayer, come on up. If you need- Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.